0: Good morning. The scripture reading this morning is from Exodus chapter 25 and 26. The Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites to bring me an offering. You are to receive the offering for me from everyone whose heart prompts them to give. These are the offerings you are to receive from them, gold, silver and bronze, blue, purple and scarlet yarn and fine linen, goat hair, ram skins dyed red and another type of durable leather, acacia wood, olive oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense, and onyx stones and other gems to be mounted on the ephod and breastpiece. Then have them make a sanctuary for me and I will dwell among them. Make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. Make the tabernacle with ten curtains of finely twisted linen and blue, purple, and scarlet yarn with cherubim woven into them by a skilled worker. All the curtains are to be the same size, 28 cubits long and 4 cubits wide. Join five of the curtains together and do the same with the other five. Make loops of blue material along the edge of the end curtain in one set and do the same with the end curtain in the other set. Make 50 loops on one curtain and 50 loops on the end curtain of the other set with the loops opposite each other. Then make 50 gold clasps and use them to fasten the curtains together so that the tabernacle is a unit. Set up the tabernacle according to the plan shown you on the mountain. Make a curtain of blue, purple, and scarlet yarn and finely twisted linen with cherubim woven into it by a skilled worker. Hang it with gold hooks on four posts of acacia wood overlaid with gold and standing on four silver bases. Hang the curtain from the clasps and place the Ark of the Covenant Law behind the curtain. The curtain will separate the holy place from the most holy place. Put the atonement cover on the Ark of the Covenant Law in the most holy place. Place the table outside the curtain on the north side of the tabernacle and put the lampstand opposite it on the south side. For the entrance to the tent, make a curtain of blue, purple, and scarlet yarn and finely twisted linen, the work of an embroiderer. Make gold hooks for this curtain and five posts of acacia wood overlaid with gold and cast five bronze bases for them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Buenos días. El, la lectura de hoy viene del libro del Éxodo, Éxodo capítulo 25, versos 1 a 9, 6, capítulo 6, versos 1 a 6 y 30 a 17. El Señor habló con Moisés y le dijo, Ordenales a los israelitas que me traigan una ofrenda. La deben presentar todos los que sientan deseos de traérmela. Como ofrenda se les aceptará lo siguiente oro, plata, bronce laña, lana teñida de púrpura carmesí y escarlata lino fino, pelo de cabra pieles de ter- carnero teñidas de rojo pieles de delfín, madera de acacia aceite para las lámparas especies para aromatizar el aceite del, del, de la unición y el incienso y piedras de onice y otras piedras preciosas para adornar el efot, el pectoral del sacerdote. Después, harán un santuario para que yo habite entre ustedes. El santuario y todo su inmobiliario deberán ser una réplica exacta del modelo que yo te mostraré. el santuario con 10 cortinas de lino fino y de lana teñida de púrpura, carmesí y escarlata, con dos querubines artísticamente bordados en ellas. Todas las cortinas deben medir lo mismo, es decir, doce metros y medio de largo por un metro con 80 centímetros de ancho. Cose cinco cortinas, uniendo la una con la otra por el borde, y haz lo mismo con las otras cinco. En el borde superior del primer conjunto de cortinas, pon unas presillas de laña tenida de púrpura, lo mismo que en el borde del otro conjunto de las cortinas. En las cortinas del primer conjunto, pon 50 presillas, lo mismo que en las cortinas del otro conjunto, de modo que cada presilla tenga su pareja. Haz luego 50 ganchos de oro para que las cortinas queden enganchadas una con otra, de modo que el santuario tenga unidad de conjunto. Erige el santuario siguiéndote al modelo que te mostré en el monte. Haz una cortina de púrpura, carmesí, escarlata y lino fino con querubinos, querubines artísticamente bordados en ella. Cuélgala con ganchos de oro en cuatro postes de madera de acacia recubiertos de oro, los cuales levantarás sobre las cuatro bases de plata. Cuelga los ganchos de la cortina, la cual separará el lugar santo del lugar santísimo y coloca el área del pacto detrás de la cortina con el propositario sobre el arca de pacto dentro del lugar santísimo y coloca la mesa fuera de la cortina en el lado norte del santuario el candelabro lo pondrás frente a la mesa en el lado sur haz para la entrada del santuario una cortina de púrpura, carmesí, escarlata y lino fino recamada artísticamente Para que esta cortina prepara para esta cortina prepara cinco postes de acacia recubiertos de oro con sus respectivos ganchos de oro y funde para los postes cinco bases de bronze. Palabra del Señor.
2: You know, hearing God's word read in different languages, it's a, it's a real joy uh, not only to serve those within our community, but it's also a reminder. Uh, That God's Word is being heard, preached, and received in every language all around the world, even this day. And it's a joy to know that we unite ourselves, uh, not just with ourselves, but with brothers and sisters all around the world that also bear the name of Christ. That's a joy. It's a good reminder. Let's pray together as we look at this passage that we just heard read from Exodus. Uh, Let's pray. God, it's a little more quiet now, but even earlier, hearing that soundtrack of babies crying in the background. It's a joy because it's a reminder that we're gathered today as a family, uh, people of a variety of backgrounds, people of every age, all of us in need of your grace, all of us needing to hear from your Word, needing to learn about your love, learning to learn about our need as Steve prayed for us earlier. Jesus, connect all those dots for us in this time and make your Word come alive we pray in Christ's name. Amen. A few years ago, a movie comedy called Neighbors came out, and it's about a young couple played by Seth Rogen and Rose Byrne who are settling into a quiet neighborhood and adjusting to their lives as parents of a newborn child. When unexpectedly, as the story goes, guess who moves in next door but Delta Psi Beta, a fraternity known for loud parties, outrageous parties. Well, as you can probably guess, after night after night of loud and raucous parties, led by an often shirtless character played by Zac Efron, of course. A funny and ridiculous feud breaks out between these two new neighbors. Now, I'm not saying that this movie was good or that you should even go and see it, but Neighbors was a popular movie, and I wonder if it's partly because we all know the blessing that a good neighbor can be. And we all know the curse that a bad or noisy neighbor can also be. And the thing is that none of us gets to decide which one you're going to get. Usually, you don't get to choose your neighbors who lives in the apartment next door, who's on the other side of your wall, who you share your porch with, and it leaves you all feeling a little bit helpless, doesn't it? So, you can maybe imagine the relief and even the joy that you might feel if you were one day to learn that the best of all neighbors, the most unimaginably generous, kind, and reliable, and thoughtful, and honest, and forgiving, and responsible neighbors, the best of all neighbors, chose to live next door to you. See, God and Moses are still atop Mount Sinai, and God has just announced, I'm moving into the neighborhood. That's what these instructions about building the tabernacle are all about in today's passage. What's a tabernacle, you say? Well, it was actually simply a large tent, 45 feet long, 15 feet wide, 15 feet tall, with two inner rooms and a large courtyard outside. And it was the place where God would symbolically dwell. It was his home, God's local Address here on earth if you were to ask an Israelite where does God live they would say well of course in heaven and in, in another sense God lives everywhere and you would say but no 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 really but here on earth where does God really live they would say well right there in that tent that tabernacle it was literally a piece of heaven here on earth you might say that the tabernacle was sort of like an RV A recreational vehicle, a a portable home on wheels. Because don't forget, the Israelites were a nomadic people at this point. All of them lived in tents. Later, when the people would settle into the Promised Land, they would build homes, brick and mortar as it were. And King David built a permanent house for God, a temple. But until then, God would live like his people and with his people as their dream next-door neighbor he would live in a tent in a tabernacle so there are two things about this tabernacle that we discover in this passage first the making of the tabernacle and second the meaning of the tabernacle let's look at each of those in turn first the making of the tabernacle Now, you've already noticed, of course, that these were no Ikea instructions, you know, just a few pictures and diagrams. God gave Moses detailed words, directions about how the people were to make his tent. He says in verse 2, tell the Israelites to bring me an offering. In verses 3 through 7, he lists off all the raw materials that would be needed for this project, which the people themselves were to provide. Gold, silver, bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet yarn and fine linen, goat hair, ramskins dyed red, and another type of durable leather, acacia wood, olive oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense and onyx stones and other gems. And then God tells them how to put all the pieces together. He starts off in verse 9 make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. And then he showed them put this here and that here, put this this way and that way, put the curtains this way and fit the poles together this way, and so on and so forth. And here's the thing that we need to keep in mind God could have made this all by himself. This is the God, remember, who parted the Red Sea, who made miracle bread appear down from heaven, manna. God could have spoken the tabernacle into existence. Let there be a big tent with all the right specks, right? He could have just done it. But instead, what does he do? He calls all the people together together. And he invites them to collaborate together and to construct the tabernacle together. So what are some things that we can learn from this fascinating observation? First, we're reminded that God is rescuing for himself not just a bunch of individuals, but a people. A collaborative covenant community. In other words, to be a follower of Jesus is to be part of a people, not just part of a personal journey. And we try to embody that redemptive reality here at Grace Meridian Hill by gathering together face-to-face on Sunday mornings. It's what we're doing right now and by urging you to join one of our midweek small groups called Life Groups. And we invite you to show up to those not just seeking to be blessed, but rather seeking to be a blessing to others, being a people together. But another place you see this corporate Christian identity expressed in the life of our community and worship is in our worship liturgy itself, what we're in the middle of doing what you've already experienced in this service. For example, have you ever wondered why it is that we have responsive readings at certain parts of our service? Why we read things together? Well, it's to hear each other's voices, so read it loud and proud, make sure each other can hear it. And by doing so, to remind each other every week that we are a people together. But Someone says, but sometimes, man, that's so stilted and it's awkward to read it that way. You know what? That's kind of the point. Why? Togetherness is awkward. Doing things all by myself, going solo, sometimes is easier, is smoother. Togetherness requires letting go of my personal preferences, my personal pace, Right? So when we read together, you kind of need to slow down and, and time it, not get up too far ahead of others and not fall too far behind. You slow down for others in love. There is a time for individuality, but in our gathered worship, just like the Israelites, we are practicing being a people. Now, not only does this remind us of our peoplehood, second, this passage reminds us that God uses his people to build up his people. As it says in Ephesians 4, 16, from Christ, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work work that's referring to every single one of us in this body, in this family, in this people. Sometimes, let's admit it, it's easy in a church to slip into the mindset that we are almost like customers or consumers of religious goods and services or, or even just passive members of an audience. Sometimes our seating arrangement doesn't help. And I think in some ways the pandemic has made it easier for us to adopt this kind of attitude. But God invites us to be the opposite, to be vital contributors and active participants in covenant community life. Not a fan in the crowd, but a player on the court. Uh, March Madness is about to start, so we got to slip that metaphor in there. Not a fan in the crowd, but a player on the court. And one important way that we do that is by sharing our skills and our things with one another. Our skills. Three times the passage mentions the need for a skilled worker in verse 26 and 31. And an embroiderer in verse 36. Bring your skills into the community as a way of loving one another, whether if that skill might be baking or administrating or painting or teaching or lawyering or designing or loving and picking up small children, whatever it might be, bring your skills. And the Israelites knew that everything they had was given to them by God, and so their hearts prompted them to give. We're told in verse 1, it was a free will offering. It was an overflow of their hearts of joy and gratitude. Out of that overflow, they contributed their gold, their silver, and bronze, their things. And so have you this is perhaps a good time to say thank you for all the ways that so many of you have supported the church financially. You've done so, especially in this past year, even despite the uncertainties of the pandemic. And you gave what you could, you know, just like the Israelites, some contributing Jewels, fine linens, expensive dyes, others contributing olive oil and goat hair. All just according to their ability, all of it pleasing to the Lord, all of it. Offerings at our church continues to be steady. And after a few years of financial challenges, our budget is more stable than it's been in years. Praise God. Of course, as we talk about this call to share our things in community, we're talking not only about money, but also our stuff. Now, I love the generosity with which so many of you have provided meals, good meals for other people in our church when somebody's had a baby or when someone's just been slammed by a hardship in life. We've all been there. We've all needed that. Keep doing that. Care for one another. Give the stuff of good food and drink to one another. You know that fried chicken that you bring over, that sandwich? That's gold for the tabernacle, you see. And I love the way that I see our, our members, you giving and, and taking and, and lending your stuff over our church's community life listserv. Keep doing that. You know, hey, I've got some furniture. Does anyone need it? You know, that's not just spring cleaning, that's gold for the tabernacle. Uh, I mean, the church should almost be its own free cycle site, right, where we're constantly swapping tools or pack and plays or, or a blender. And this is especially needed to sustain life in the city, where Yard and storage space is more scarce and where some have less and some have more, but together we have all that we need. You may not have a lot of space in the city, but by God's grace, we have each other, right? We may not have a lot of stuff, but what you do have is the church. And what we do have is the privilege of sharing our stuff. As an overflow of gratitude for God's redeeming grace, because we are a people. And this brings us to the second point, and that's the meaning of the tabernacle. The meaning of the tabernacle. In the end, what was all that collaboration, all those contributions, all this making of the tabernacle, what was it for? Well, look at verse 8. Where God says, The most amazing thing, have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. I will dwell among them. The tabernacle represents God's loving commitment to live among his people, not just near. Not just with, not just beside, but among his people in the middle of our daily lives, embedded in our ordinariness, enveloped by our pain, surrounded by our brokenness. This is our God. God moved in next door. The God of the tabernacle would be a God Among us. Among means identity and solidarity. I am one of you. I am with you. When your tent gets drenched by the rain, so does mine. And when yours gets blown over by the desert winds, mine does too. We're in it together. And what made all this so stunning for the Israelites, is that God chose to identify this closely with sinners. He chose to move into the company of sinners like you and me. And the design of the tabernacle would never let the Israelites forget that fact. That's why there are so many curtains in the tent. God was reminding his people that our sin separates us from God. But you also heard in the reading references to the ark and the atonement cover and the altar, all the furniture and equipment for sacrifices that would be offered at their tabernacle because guess what? God would always make a way for atonement for our sins, for forgiveness, for a way for us to be reconciled to God even as sinners. God himself would bear the cost of living that close with sinners. In fact, what we learn is that the tabernacle was really just a symbol and a preview of the ultimate expression of the amongness of God, and that is Jesus. We're told in John chapter 1 verse 14, these words, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And did you know that the word translated made his dwelling is the same word for dwell found in Exodus chapter 25. Dwell, which could also be translated, pitched his tent. You see, the Son of God became flesh and pitched his tent, tabernacled among us. Jesus himself was the personal presence of God. Jesus was the address of God, heaven on earth in flesh. He himself walked in our shoes. He identified with us even to the point of being judged in our place for our sins, dying on the cross for us in our sins and rising again to give us life. Jesus was the true tabernacle of God. So friends, behold God's love for you because we were the proverbial bad neighbor on the block and still are. Let's be real. Yet God moved in next door and pitched his tent right in the midst of our broken tents. He did not, God does not stand far Off. No matter how repulsive you might think you are, no matter how morally ugly you might think you are, no matter how much you believe that you might have disqualified yourself from being in the presence of God in Christ, he makes you qualified. In Christ, he makes you his beloved. In Christ, he makes you among He's not a stranger either to your sufferings. He is in it with you, among us, saving, helping, keeping, forgiving, loving you and me. Do you know his tabernacling love? Do you know it, dear friends? Do you want to? And when we come to experience this love, we begin to realize that we ourselves are called to love others like Jesus loved us. In fact, do you know that 1 Corinthians 3 and 1 Peter 1 tell us that we, you and I, our ratty little gathering here, we are God's tabernacle, his temple, I mean, there's a lot of brewing cynicism about the church these days, and a lot of that is earned. Flaws and failures and a resistance to repentance that we find too often in Christ's church. A lot of cynicism about the church, but, but dear church, brothers and sisters, do you understand that scripture tells us that you are the unique address of God in the world? You are where people, hungry and thirsty and dying people like us, will find the personal presence of God. You are his personal presence in this community, this neighborhood, and this city. So, so who then do you need to identify with and move towards? Uh, whose struggles What griefs whose lives, how how can we be vessels of the personal presence of God living among the people in this place? And this is one of the reasons why we cherish and love being a neighborhood church because proximity enables a, a kind of tabernacling community, doesn't it? a a tabernacling ministry where there's just more natural opportunity, where we can rub up against each other's shoulders and be in life together and together with our neighbors, rejoicing together, weeping together, finding victory together, struggling together, bearing each other's burdens together. John Perkins, who's the, the founder of the Christian Community Development Association, has taught that this idea is especially important in learning how to love the poor and the disenfranchised. He speaks about the importance of relocating to communities in need and living among the poor. Listen to what he says. Living out the gospel means desiring for one's neighbor and neighbor's family that which one desires for oneself and family. Living out the gospel means sharing in the suffering and pain of others. How did Jesus love? The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, John 1.14. Jesus relocated. He became one of us. He didn't commute back and forth to heaven. Similarly, the most effective messenger of the gospel to the poor will also live among the poor that God has called the person to. By relocating, a person will understand most clearly the real problems facing the poor. And then he or she may begin to look for real solutions. For example, if a person ministering in a poor community has children, one can be sure that person will do whatever possible to ensure that the children of the community get a good education. Perkins writes, Relocation transforms you, them, and theirs to we, us, and ours. Effective ministries plant and build communities of believers that have a personal stake in the development of their neighborhoods. Friends, this is one of the reasons why we are intentionally located in this city. Not because cities are cool, though they are, but because cities bring us near to one another, And near to people of all walks of life, and brings us specifically in relationship of mutuality together with those who might be mired in poverty. And where Christ in his heart calls us to move toward, to live among in love. What can you do, what can we do to be more among those who face the challenges of poverty? And for some of us, it might even mean moving physically to an area perhaps where you are more side by side and in and among our dear neighbors. What might the tabernacling love of Christ compel you to do as you seek to tabernacle among your neighbors? And as we do, we of course give glimpses of that very love of Christ and we look forward to this day giving glimpses of a day when the tabernacling love of God will cover the whole earth as waters cover the sea. Do you know that the Bible goes on to describe the new heaven and new earth, the future day of Christ's final arrival, using this same language of tabernacle? In Revelation chapter 21 verse 3, the apostle writes of that great day when heaven comes upon earth in the great climax of God's redemption, he writes this, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place, the tabernacle of God is with man. He will dwell. He will pitch his tent with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain any more. Hallelujah. Beloved, this is our hope. This is the destination of redeemed humanity. One day, heaven will come down to earth and fill all things and the whole cosmos, will become the tent of God, a tabernacle. And the glorious, tear-wiping, death-defeating, sin-atoning, tabernacling presence of God will fill all things. That day is coming. Do you believe it? Can you see it just over the hills on the horizon? And will we then, even today, live in light of that day's arrival? Behold the amongness of your God. Let's pray. And even as we see this about you, O God, change our hearts. Turn our lives into the vessels of the presence of God where we seek to dive in and to to live in and among brothers and sisters in the church and neighbors outside the church. Do this amongst us for our good, for our neighbor's good, and for your glory. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.